Okay, so um, <clears throat> our subject today is justification. And it's another key doctrine of the Christian faith. And when we say it's key, we mean it's important. Um, not just important, but actually it is vitally important. And the reason I say it's vitally important is because, well, there are two reasons, really. I think it describes the ultimate achievement of what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. And secondly, I think that understanding what this doctrine is all about really does have the potential to change our lives. Before we look at all that, I'd like to go back nearly 30 years to something terrible that happened not very far from here in Warrington. On the 20th of March, 1993, two bombs exploded, planted by the IRA, injuring 56 people and killing two children. One of them was a three-year-old named uh, Jonathan Ball, and the other was Tim Parry, and he was 12. It was one of many atrocities committed during the Troubles, but the reason I remember this one especially is not just because it was quite close to home, but because of the way Tim Parry's parents responded. At least one newspaper reported, I think it was the, uh, the Liverpool um, Post or the Liverpool Echo, uh, reported that Colin Parry, the father, despite his grief, had forgiven his son's murderers. Uh, the, the, the newspaper article said that for the sake of peace, he could forgive but not forget. Actually, I'm not sure if the newspapers reported that correctly. Um, because years later when he was being interviewed, unless his view changed, um, when he was being interviewed about the Charitable Peace Foundation that he and his wife had set up, um, he said he didn't forgive the IRA, although he was willing to work with Martin McGuinness um, on the peace process. Uh, Martin McGuinness, of course, represented the political wing of the IRA. And I've mentioned that story because it highlights something very important about human forgiveness. That the best we can hope for when a wrong has been done, and I think the parents of Tim Parry do represent the best of the best, the best we can hope for in human experience is a willingness to move on without too much bitterness. The best we can hope for is a determination not to dwell on the past. Uh, to continue to work with someone or to stay friends with someone or, or even to stay married to someone, someone who has done us wrong, whether it be physically, emotionally or whatever. And the reason why that's the best we can hope for is because in, in human relationships, there really is no such thing as forgive and forget. Sure, with time, a person's wrongdoing, whether it be something big or just a number of little things, it might not be in the, in the forefront of our minds so much, but it leaves a shadow, doesn't it? And sometimes it doesn't take much for past offences, which we thought were forgotten, to be brought back up again. There's a film in which Emma Thompson um, plays a, 
a, a wife who finds out that something's been going on between her husband and his secretary. And when she confronts him, the question she asks is what he would do if she were her, if he were her. Would he cut and run, she says, or would he stay knowing that things would never be quite the same again? And that's because in human relationships, we are incapable of truly forgiving and forgetting. I don't want to downplay the amazing capacity for forgiveness that some people show. There are some who find it within themselves to forgive things that many people would find impossible. They show understanding, empathy, love and kindness towards the wrongdoer. They seem to be able to carry on with a relationship as if the other party had done nothing wrong at all. But that doesn't undo the wrong, does it? And it doesn't mean that the offence has been forgiven, uh, forgotten. We might be able to forgive, but honestly, we can't forget, can we? Not, not fully. And by the way, it's the same with our justice system. Someone who's been convicted of a crime and then paid the fine, or if it was more serious, completed their time in prison, they still have a, a criminal record, don't they? Society might forgive the debts, or it might view the debt as paid, but there's still no forgetting because we can't erase the past. We can't erase the past. What's done is done. But what if, what if we could go back and erase the bad things that we've done in the past? What if we could go back in time and not do the things that we've done wrong? Well, there'd be nothing to forgive, would there? And there would be nothing to remember. And that's not quite the same thing as justification, because obviously we have all sinned and we can't change that. But I think it's close to the meaning of justification, which I'm going to explain as I, as I go on. But can you imagine for a minute what you would feel like if you had lived, just try and imagine this for a moment, if you had lived so far an exemplary life, if there was nothing you were ashamed of, nothing you were embarrassed about, nothing you'd ever done that you needed to apologise for, if the record of your life only consisted of the good things that you'd done. And can you imagine how that would affect how you would live this coming week? No baggage, no sense of unworthiness, no, no feeling that your day-to-day -day sins are inevitable because you're just not strong enough to do otherwise. Well, that's how we can feel every day if we can only appreciate more fully what it means to be justified. That's how we can feel every day if we can only appreciate more fully what it means to be justified. Okay, we're going to look at some scriptures in, in, in a few minutes to see if we can get a better handle on what justification really means. But I want to start just by quickly touching on one of our previous topics, because uh, in November, you might remember, we were thinking about the doctrine of the atonement. And you might also remember um, that we were learning or reminding ourselves uh, about the Day of Atonement, that annual event in the Jewish calendar. Um, the ritual, which involved two goats, one of which was sacrificed, and 
when God saw the, the blood of that sacrifice, of that goat, knowing that it represented the blood of his son who would one day die for all the sin of the world, God was able to forgive the sins of the people, wasn't he? Just like he's able to forgive our sins today. But if you want to be precise, I think I, I mentioned back in November that quite often the atonement is such a huge thing that many people just use it to refer to the whole of the gospel. But if you want to be precise, I think we should say that the doctrine of the atonement actually stops with the sacrifice. That's the point at which God's wrath was appeased. The point at which his, his righteousness was satisfied. What follows next forgiveness and all the other blessings included in the gospel is the result of the atonement and if you look at Leviticus 16 where we were um, back in November the day of atonement and I don't think I mentioned it um, mentioned it then uh, you'll see that the ritual involving the other goat only takes place after Aaron had finished making atonement only after the first goat was sacrificed and the atonement was completed, it says, did Aaron lay his hands on the head of the second goat, symbolically putting all the sins of the people on its head. And then it was taken away to the wilderness. And it says it, it was carrying away all their sins to a remote place. My, my point is this. Although the ritual of the second goat took place on the day of atonement, I think we should see it more accurately as a picture of justification. What God has done after the atonement was completed. And maybe the writer to the Hebrews had that second goat in mind when he wrote in Hebrews 8 that under the new covenant, God would forgive wickedness and remember their sins no more. In other words, God doesn't just forgive. He forgives and forgets. And again, that's close to the meaning of justification, but it's still not quite there uh, because there is something more. But um, let's just say God forgiving and forgetting is close enough for now. What we're saying is that justification means that God doesn't look at us as forgiven sinners albeit with a criminal record and he he doesn't have a book listing all our books with a, all our debts with a big um paid stamp on it like um some have imagined in fact he doesn't have a, a book at all uh, at least not a book of our wrongdoing what we're saying is that justification means that god can look at us as if we'd never sinned at all and some people use the first part of the word justification to remind them of that definition. Justification means just as if I've never sinned. Justification, just as if I've never sinned. Now, I said we were going to read some scriptures. Let's, uh, we, we, should, we should do that now. Um, let's go to Romans 3. I've got um, just a few verses I'd like to read in Romans 3 and then there's a, a couple of other ones just around, around about that part of Romans. I'm um, going to read a couple of verses to start off with, Romans 3 and beginning with verse 23. I mean, these are well-known verses. Romans 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, 
and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I think this is a great couple of verses because they, they summarize so, so much of the gospel. We've got number one, why we need to be justified. It talks about our sinful background. Um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've got the connection with the redemption, um, which we were thinking about last week with David. Because um, all these doctrines are interconnected. So we've got the connection with another doctrine. And thirdly, it says that justification is given to us freely by God's grace. And fourthly, of course, we've got the word itself, um, justified, um, a word which um, in the context of the New Testament, wherever you find it, usually means something like to make right or to act with justice or to hold us guiltless or to accept as righteous and things like that. OK, so that's four points from those two verses. Let's read on the next two verses. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So four points again, just like the previous verses, we've got firstly a reference to why we need to be justified and um, talks about um, sin, uh, which God in his righteousness uh, must punish. We've got the connection again with another doctrine. Uh, this time it refers to the atonement. Thirdly, again, we see that justification um, is something given to us by God. It doesn't say it quite as clearly in, as in the previous two verses, but it does say that it's something that we get in response to faith, not works. And number four, once again, we've got the same Greek word as in verse 24. We've got the word translated as justifies. And you'll also see that it refers to God's forbearance, which really just supports the point that I've already made, that in the Old Testament, God could forgive sin, could only forgive sin, or when he did punish sin, he didn't punish it to the full extent, only because he knew that one day in the future, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus would allow all who come to him in faith to be justified. And that sacrifice is absolutely key. And we had, the, had that in the, 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 the words of the opening hymn that we had, that amazing sacrifice. And it's partly because of the perfection of that sacrifice. The Lord Jesus, as we say so many times, was the only one good enough to be our substitute. Tempted in all ways, yet without sin. A lamb without spot or blemish. Absolutely perfect. So the perfection of that sacrifice and the immeasurable value to God is an important part of why that sacrifice was was enough. But it's also because when the Lord Jesus hung on the cross, there was no forbearance. He felt the full force of all God's wrath against sin. He held nothing back. 
the full punishment for all the sin of the world, all your sins and my sins, past, present and future. As it says in Romans 5 and 9, we are justified by Christ's blood, his sacrifice, nothing more and nothing less. And that's why justification is not something that we need to earn or contribute to in any way. Because Christ has done everything already. He's done everything which needs to be done. And the scriptures are so, so clear on this. But strangely, it's a truth that was only rediscovered at the time of the Reformation. I'm not going to go into all of that, but it was one of the, the most profound things that that was um, realized in the justification in the um, in, in the Reformation, and I've forgotten the, the name of the guy now. Who's really important to it all, um, but he's um, oh no, it's not going to come. Um, but this this guy, this really oh, what was it? I'm going I'm going to I'm going to no. Can I take you off? Will someone can someone remind me? Martin Luther. Thank you, thank you, David. <laughs> uh, yes, Martin Luther, famous guy, and uh, he was a, he he suddenly realised that what the church had been teaching for centuries was wrong. We cannot earn our salvation, and that's what the prevailing view had been. And somehow the original truth had been lost. And it's strange because it's so so clear in the scriptures, and even today. There are those who say that we need faith and works to merit salvation. Now, of course, Ephesians 2 and 10 um, does say that God expects us to do good works. But the previous verse, verse 9, says, of course, that we're saved by grace through faith. So the works come after we get saved, don't they? As Romans 3 and 20 um, says, even if we tried, our works would never be good enough to add any value. Uh, Romans 3 and 20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. So it's not by works that we are declared righteous, but by faith. Romans 4 um, verse 3 gives Abraham as an example of that. He, it says he simply believed God's promise and righteousness was Righteousness was imputed or credited to him. And uh, it goes on in verse five to apply that lesson to all of us. It says in verse five, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So I think we've got a pretty good idea of what justification is, yeah? We said that God doesn't just forgive our sins. He forgets all about them, just like we never sinned at all. But he also said that's not quite the same as going back. It's not quite the same as going back in time, if that were even possible, to erase the sins that we've done, because we don't want to lose sight of the fact that the only reason why God can declare us to be righteous is because Christ did die for our sins. And if we'd never sinned at all, his death wouldn't have been necessary. So we just have to try to hold those two things apparently contradictory, hold those two things together in our minds. That God sent his son to die for us because we were sinners, 
we're all sinners saved by grace. But now he looks at us as if we'd never sinned at all. And actually, there's another reason why justification is not quite the same thing as turning the clock back and erasing all our sins. And that's because justification is even better than that. Think about it. There was a time when you and I had done no sin. Little Ivy, little Eli are probably still there. Not a single wrong thought or word or action, and yet they're still sinners. We don't become sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners from birth. If we just had our criminal record wiped out and lived our lives all over again with the benefit of everything that we know now, guess what? We'd sin all over again. We'd make all the same old mistakes. Romans 5 and 12 tells us that sin entered the world through one man and therefore death came to all people. It says in 1 Corinthians 5 and 22 that in Adam all die. The Bible teaches that we are all in one of two states. We are either in Adam and therefore sinners or as it goes on to say we are in Christ it says, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And that's why justification's actually better than just having all our sins erased. When we get saved, when God puts us in Christ, we are transformed into a new state. Or as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 21, um, it says that we become the righteousness of God. Uh, it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I said in my last talk that the atonement might be the greatest doctrinal theme in the Bible because it enables everything else and without it we'd still be condemned as sinners. But as I said in my uh, introduction today, I think that justification is the greatest achievement of what the Lord Jesus did for us on the cross. The greatest achievement of the atonement. It's more than just the means to the forgiveness of sins. It has enabled us to have a complete change of state. Romans 3 says there is no one righteous. It says that no one can become righteous by their own efforts. For as we've just read, in Christ, we have become the righteousness of God. And it's only in the perfection of that righteousness that we can have all the other blessings of the gospel, reborn as new creations, reconciled to God, a new relationship with God, children of God able to come into the presence of God. And as it says in Romans 5 and 1, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand.
My time's gone, but I'd like to finish by just going back to the other thing I said in my introduction. Because for me, whenever I give ministry or listen to someone else's ministry, I usually try to answer the question, so what? Or to put it more politely, what's the point of this talk? Um, we call these talks Bible teaching, but most, if not all of you, have heard it all before, haven't you? I probably haven't told you anything new. And even if I have, does it matter? But I suggested earlier that if we could only understand more of what it really means to be justified, it could change our lives. And obviously I meant it, 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 it could change them for the better, even, um, even if only a little. So that would be worth your time listening to this talk, wouldn't it? Uh, if it could change your lives um, for the better. And what I meant is that a fuller understanding of justification has the potential to change our mindset. And that in turn, has the potential to change our lives. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, I don't need a different mindset. And maybe you don't, but nevertheless, let me just quickly run through some questions which may or may not have any relevance whatsoever um, to you. But firstly, do you ever feel concerned that your appetite for Christian things is not what it should be? Do you ever feel guilty for not reading your Bible and praying enough? Especially when you hear some people talk about it as a thing they just do naturally every day. Do you ever wish that you were stronger spiritually? Do you ever compare yourselves to others? The things they know, the things they do, the way they pray, their, their faith or, or whatever. And think to yourself that somehow you're not quite hitting the mark. Or are you in any way still carrying the baggage of things that you've done in the past? Sin, sins that you've committed, maybe people that you've let down, mistakes that you've made, things that maybe you've not done well enough or things that you've been criticised for. You know, we all carry a certain amount of baggage, don't we? And do you ever feel that it's just your place to stay on the sidelines or in the cheap seats, so to speak, because actually you're not as worthy or as important as other people who rightfully take more of the limelight. If, like me, your answer to any of those questions is a yes or even a maybe, then you have the opportunity to change your mindset by embracing the truth of justification and accepting that God sees you as absolutely perfect. God sees you as absolutely perfect. We're very good at criticizing each other, but when God looks at you, he sees you as absolutely perfect. Now, I know that changing our mindset is one of the most difficult things we can ever try to do. We are mostly entrenched in what we think about ourselves and what we think about other people. That's why it takes the work of the Holy Spirit to convict people of their, their need of the gospel. But if any of those questions resonate with you, even if it's only a little, try to see yourself as God sees you. Because to God... You are absolutely perfect.
And that's what it means to be justified. And we can praise God for that. Thanks. Thanks for listening.